I think this is one of the most exciting, meaningful, seminal moments in the history of the Southeastern Conference. And just to think about Josh Heupel taking his Tennessee team back to where he made his name in, in Norman. Think about Alabama returning there. I, I covered that the last time there uh, on, on just an amazing atmosphere. And, and you know, when you flip it around, Georgia going to Texas and Florida. I mean, Georgia right now is the team everyone is shooting for. So Texas and, and Oklahoma both benefited. And one more thing, Dory, I, I just remember two weeks ago, it seemed like a year, we were in Destin and listening to all the critics and all the cynics say that the SEC blew it, that they didn't do the right thing by going to nine. I, I want to see nine. I think most people do. But they did an amazing job, and, and I think they, they shut everyone up tonight. There's old Feinbaum talking about OU in Texas making their way to the SEC, and you know, I'll agree with that that last statement, um, which record that. That's probably the only time I'll ever <laughs> agree with him. But, yeah, I wanted nine, too, but what you got with eight looks pretty daggum good for everyone. I mean, it, yeah. the records, you know, we're, we're obviously really focused on what our record is, or I, I keep saying record, schedule, what our schedule is. But, man, you just go through each and every team. It, I mean, obviously, it's, it's, it all can't be perfectly balanced, but it, just, it looks pretty equally tough across the board for everyone. Yeah, and everyone was worried about these secondary uh, rivalries that were mm-hmm. going to go by the wayside with the eight-game schedule. And, like, the, the ones that I hear about being complained about the most, and it kind of proves the point, LSU and Auburn, which, okay, that's been a fun game you know, in the past 25, 30 years, maybe even beyond that. But that 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 kind of falls down the list in terms of best SEC rivals, right? LSU and Auburn and South Carolina and Georgia. Again, a game that's been fun to watch early in the season, week two or week three. Seems like they have played it there more times than not. But if we're complaining about South Carolina and Georgia and LSU and Auburn, yeah, with an eight-game schedule, they did awesome with the matchups. Um, yeah, I'm good with it. and – you know, whenever you've got what you call like three rivalry games, you know, that you play every year, it's it's hard to keep everything intact for everyone. But the beauty of it is, is it's not like it's you're never playing the game again, right? Yeah, sure. You're going to get it next year, and you know, with a little bit of a Maybe even better the next time. That's around. what I'm saying. Sure. Is like you, a little bit of buildup, you know, if it's been a Especially little bit. Especially for since those rivalries, like Georgia doesn't consider South Carolina its biggest rival, right? And LSU and Auburn, neither side considers that their biggest rival. So yeah, if it's year two break, it'll it, it'll be fine. It'll be okay. Uh, See, I, I got to tell you just real quick. I know we're yeah. moving on, but it's going to be it's going to be a learning process to try and just to get the whole history of the conference, you know, and and start to re- understand who's like where the rivalries are and why they are and where they started and you know some of the players in that in that league that we just don't know about. We know about all the superstars, but they've had a bunch of really good players there. So just learning the history is going to be going to be a lot. Yeah. Uh 2023 pressure check rankings. Big 12 coaches, okay? Now, this is uh, low, medium, and high. 
each coach in the Big 12, and, you know, kind of their pressure situation heading into 2023. I'll uh, run down a couple before we get to Brent. Dave Aranda at Baylor is a medium. Kalani Sataki at BYU is on low. Scott Satterfield at Cincinnati is already on medium. He hasn't coached a game yet. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, Dana Holgerson at Houston is on high. Matt Campbell out of Iowa State is on low. Lance Leipold, of course, at KU is on low. Here's Chris Kleiman at K-State on a medium. I mean, he just won a Big what? 12 championship. Um, okay. So I read those off to kind of, you know, let you see a little bit that some of those are like, huh? Brent Venables, Oklahoma, high. Brent Venable faces as much pressure as any second-year head coach. And you could certainly make the case that's his measure meter should be more than high. Oklahoma had its worst season in almost a quarter century in 2022. Its defense was awful, and the Sooners got blanked 49-0 against Texas. Yeah, I agree with it. Now, um, we're talking about pressure, right? We're not necessarily talking about, um, you know, hot seat and risk of being fired and Maybe you can build that right in there. I don't know. But there is no doubt at all that he's under a, uh, a high amount of pressure. Yeah. For sure. Six yeah. and seven, that's, that's what happens. This, will, uh, this, this segment, next segment, I mean, as they all are, will be a big text line segment, 405-651-3439. You can put it at low, medium, high. You can put it on a scale of one to ten. You can type out exactly like what you think the pressure level is right now for Brent Venables, but I'm curious to get the fan perspective on like, where everyone views the hot seat factor for Brent going into year two. And, yeah, I, I think with last year and the schedule that you have this year, it's, dude, you better win at least, in my mind, ten games this year. If you want to say that it's high, like, I, I think that that's very fair. Yeah. High, high pressure. I, I don't know, like job security. I, there's got to be, in my opinion, something catastrophic to even even get into that range. Six and seven, but, catastrophic? Is that what that means? Well, yeah, that would be that would be pretty catastrophic. But like almost. Almost something else like a scandal or something because I, I I just I can't envision them going six and seven. So yeah, if they went six and seven again, that would that would get you right there uh, at the door for having serious conversations. But man, last year with all of the all of the headwinds that they had, all of the all of the transition. Uh, you know, turnover, transfer portal. Like, it was just, it was a lot. Not to make excuses. Like, they still should not have been six and seven. Um, with all of those things considered, you should have won, like, it at a minimum, three more games, right? By not even really doing anything, just not shooting yourself uh, in the foot. So, I, I just can't envision another six and seven season. But, <laughs> I didn't envision it last year either. No, no. Uh, text line's all over the place. Right now, for me, it's a zero. This is a texture in the 405. Here's another one that says Brent should have already been fired. 
Uh, here's another one that says, if he goes six and seven again, he's done. You don't get time anymore. 918, hot seat is like a five for Brent. Could go either way based on this season. Dylan, if he goes five and eight and loses to Texas, surely that's enough to say, hey, you're not the right guy. Um, 405, what if we drop another game to Texas, 49-0? Is he gone after that? Kendall says it's on fire, 10 wins or bust. Cole and Casey, extremely high. He has to win nine-plus this year, or there will need to be serious conversations about the future. I believe he's going to get it done wholeheartedly. So we got anywhere yeah. from a zero to a ten there, and then some in between. Yeah, well, yeah, and I think all of those are – I mean, and there's there's good backing for for all of that. I, you know, I just it. Here's the thing that that I think of. Right, Oklahoma, a place that's had, you know, for the most part, such stability. What would you would you would you really gain anything by firing a coach after two years and starting the whole thing over again? Unless someone out know. there – I mean, unless there's just someone out there just waiting that you know would take the job and it just seems like a match made and it seems like a home run, but I don't know – I don't even know who that person is. I, I wouldn't even right. know where to begin. I, I, Shane Beamer at South Carolina I, – I, I, don't, I don't know. I just – like that, like that, that obvious choice right now. Like Britt was the obvious choice, right? Like yeah. the the guy that I'm talking about was Britt Venables, and I still think that he can absolutely be that guy. But like he he's the guy that I'm talking about here. Yeah, yeah. I I just I don't know. Has that ever worked for anyone? Has anyone ever had success with that type of quick turnover? Well, I I don't know if Arkansas is a good example. Because they had, you know, rolled through so many head coaches before they got point. to, but they fired, um, oh gosh, what's his face, Morris, uh, in like two years, and now they've settled on Sam Pittman, and maybe they have something there. But more Who times than not, before Morris, um, before Morris was Bielema, right? Was it Bielema before Morris? I think it was. Right? I think I think so. Yeah. So it went Betrino, Bielema, Morris. I think it went Betrino, John L. Smith for that one year, then Billima, then uh, Morris, and then now. Um, y- okay. Yeah. yeah now but that's what coach. I'm talking about. You go, you you have four coaches in a decade before you, like, they really haven't even done anything right. yet. Yeah. And we're celebrating them. Sure. So I guess that's kind of what I'm saying is, like, if you. If you like pull the plug and hit and want to reset everything, you're putting yourself in real danger of, of you know, kind of going through that same situation that it feels like a lot of like Texas has been doing it since Mac Brown left. You know, yeah, it's just been constant. Four oh five. Uh, I'm Brent. We trust. We have some of the right dudes in place now. Kicking ass and taking names is all we are doing this year. Brent is one of our own. No worries. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I do think this year is you win 10-plus games this year, then I, I think if anyone's on the fence about it, then maybe they change their mind a little bit about going to the SEC. But, yeah, man, you go 7-5 and five this year, then I think he could be on a hot seat in a year's time heading into a way more difficult schedule. Yeah, And, you know, a lot of it also just kind of depends on like, how did it all happen, what did it all look like, you know? Um that's that's one of the big things because 
if if you have a bunch of injuries and, and stuff like that? Because we know, I mean, you're going into the season. We know that we, we look a lot better at a lot of positions, but depth is still an issue uh, most position groups. Uh, real quality, proven depth, guys that have any type of real production. Like, there's not much of that on our team. So if, if, if we get the injury bug and sustain, you know, several injuries and, you know, that, that could be a big factor for us because even though we, we've got what I would call a weak schedule, um, I still don't know how much margin for error we're going to have as, as a football team right now. We're, you know, we're moving in the right way with our roster, but we're not where we need to be. So, I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is it just kind of depends – like, if you do have another subpar season, well, what's the explanation for that? If there's an easy explanation to say, like, we had, you know, six starters injured and, you know, lost some games because of that, well, that's one thing. But if it's mismanagement, um, team looks unprepared, doesn't make smart decisions and smart plays and stressful moments, just like what we saw last year, well, then now, now we're talking about something totally different. Terry from Dewey, let me read a few more. Pressure to have a turnaround season in 2023. Job is on the hot seat at 9-3 and three or less. Fans will be at 212 degrees with a 9-3 <laughs> record. Nice. Yeah. For well, a- here, here's the other thing. Like, do we – if, if you're telling me we go 8-4 and four in the regular season, uh, are we 8-4 and four and beat Texas or are we 8-4 and four and lose to Texas? Because – that I think Texas that game is, yeah, it, it's it's after what happened last year, it's it's obviously the biggest game on your schedule, but it can totally change the perspective of what whatever the record looks like, for better or Which, worse, I guess. It, it sucks to be in that position, right? Because we've we've never really been a program that worries about how are how are we doing against our rivals, like. Usually that's what crappy teams worry about. Well, you had a bad season, but, well, at least we beat Texas. That's what losers say, right, where you just try and, uh, as long as you beat your rival, it really doesn't matter what your record is. You know, you survive for a year, and everyone's happy that you beat Texas. Yeah, you lost to a crappy, you know, whatever, Iowa State team or whoever it might be, but, yeah, you won that Texas game, right? We don't want to be that type of program, and I don't think we're in jeopardy of being there. But I will say that, you know, if we're talking about multi-loss team this season, you get you get into that realm where okay, it wasn't good, but did you beat your biggest rival that you recruit against? Uh, for what it's worth, Mike Gundy is also on high on this for a uh, hot seat. I think we've—I feel like we've gone down this road for the past five, six years. I don't think Mike Gundy's on a hot seat. I understand they lost five of their last six down the stretch and the turnover on the roster. I, I just still believe Mike Gundy decides when he leaves Oklahoma State. I think that's that situation. Uh, Mike Gundy is not at high stress he's not living life like he's on a hot seat i can tell you that much he may be the lowest stress coach in all of college football and i think it serves him really well to live that way i i he's you know they've got they've got their own set of issues that they're working through 
You know, they lost a whole bunch in the transfer portal. Um, you know, but there's some there's also some good things that they got going for them right now. They got a they got a quarterback that can absolutely rip it. Um, he's a gunslinger. He he takes chances. But if Bowman has a good year, and you know, and what I like the most about Mike Gundy is how he changes with the environment. Uh, they've had they've had like. Over the last five years, they've had five different styles of football team. They've had an air raid team. They had a team that focused on the running game with the with the athletic quarterback. They've had you know the best defense in the conference. They've, he's just kind of morphed and changed what they are depending on the roster, and I think he's going to do that again. And they got a quarter like I expect, and we'll see what it looks like. But just just from what I've seen, what I've heard. I expect them to go back to a little bit more of an air raidy type of team. Um, we'll get to more texts next segment. I, I do want to read off Sarks because I, I think he's a very interesting case study right now. Because Brent is getting all the attention on hot seat talk in this conference right now. Sark is also on high, according to On3. Now, I don't know if Texas fans would put him on high, but maybe it's a medium. And I, I think with Sark, it's kind of one of those – all right, man, you're uh, going to be picked to win the conference. You, uh, We feel like we have a pretty good team. Like, you're not on the hot seat right now, but go 9-3, and 8-4, and four, and, buddy, you might be on the hot seat going into year one in the SEC. I don't think he's that far off from being – I think he could be a year away from Texas fans saying, yeah, this guy's on the hot seat. Well, I think one of the, one of the issues he's going to have, and this is not of his doing, but – the preseason hype for them is going to be so high or already is so high that the fan base is going to be, you know, I know they've gone through this several times and some of them probably buy in and others don't, but uh, it's so strong this year that I think a lot of people are going to be bought in and really feel like they're going down there to, to beat Alabama and, if they fall short and get run off the field down in Tuscaloosa and, you know, they got pro- – like, because of the preseason hype, it's creating more pressure on him if his team's not ready and not yep. there like people are saying. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Hour number two rolls on, hanging out at the Compliance Solutions Championship out at Jimmy Austin. Course is in beautiful shape. It's awesome out here. If you want tickets, go to ComplianceSolutionsChampionship.com. Talking Sooner football is what we do. This is The Ref. At Lander Chevy Norman, we're feeling good. How good? Jumping into summer savings good. And the hottest selection in town good. Right now, take up to $82.50 off the new half-ton Silverado. Or up to $6,500 off and financing as low as 1.9%. Also, shop our large pre-owned selection backed by the Lander's Advantage. Central Oklahoma Buick GMC dealers bringing you this hour of The Rush. Tyler McComas, Teddy Lehman. Text line, what if OU beats Texas 49-0 this year? Sark's gone. I don't know if he'll be gone, but he could be headed to the hot seat in a year's time. Well, it it ain't going to be good if they lose convincingly to Alabama and lose convincingly to Oklahoma. Different time, I understand that, but Max survived several beatdowns to Oklahoma before he finally got fired, you know? How many? Yeah. 2000, 2003, shutout in 04, 2011, 2012. It took him five beatdowns before he finally got canned. 
Well, here's the difference, though. He was winning 10 games every one of those years pretty much, though. Yep. Sark has not done that. It's true. Nine one eight Iowa State coach is lowest pressure in college football. Say that again. Lowest pressure. Nine one eight says Iowa State head coach, which Matt Campbell, oh. lowest pressure in college football. Yeah, he pretty much can do uh, whatever he wants. I mean, maybe high pressure for him to turn out a good year and to land somewhere else if he wants. But yeah, I don't see Iowa State firing him anytime soon. I, I don't. Uh, you know, he's he's got he's got great quality of life in in Ames. He's able to 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 do a lot of things that a lot of head coaches can't. He, you know, he's compensated really really well for a school like Iowa State. They've been super competitive, and I say that knowing full well what their record was last year, but. Um, they were still competitive. I know they only won a handful of games, but they were in absolute. Like we beat them worse than about everyone else in the 14. on their schedule did. Yeah. By, it, beat them by fourteen. Yeah. No, and, and I think for a guy like Campbell, and I'm, I'm trying to think of another good comparison in this conference. Um, maybe Leipold is a guy. I, Kleiman just signed a, an extension at Kansas State, so he's not going there for for any time. But. I think there's a lot of coaches in the Big 12 that are saying, okay, like, let me kind of see how things go in this new Big 12 first. Because mm-hmm. maybe we haven't been at the top of the pecking order year in and year out, but there's room for someone to assert themselves at the top. So I, I could get around to that a little bit. Like, I get paid nicely. I've got job security. And before I just go jump at a lower-level Power 5 job somewhere else, let me see what this new Big 12 landscape looks like and how I fit into that. I, I totally agree, especially with the twelve-team playoff. Right? Um, if you can, if you can capture the top or one of the top two slots in the in the conference year in year out, and be playoff uh, bound every single year, uh, that's going to change the way people view you around the country. You could go from being a relatively unknown program to all of a sudden, you know, being thrust into the national conversation in a big, big way. You know, there's going to be 12 teams under the current situation, like for TCU, they made it in a 14 playoff, which was big and big for them with all of that notoriety and free advertisement that comes with that. But, you know, it's also only four teams. And a lot of college football fans have kind of checked out at that point. Yeah, they're going to watch to watch, you know, if it's just a, for, out of curiosity. But when you've got 12 teams involved, right, there's fan bases. There's going to be more fan bases from more conferences that are locked in. And if you're one of those 12 year in, year out, which I think someone's going to have the chance to do out of the Big 12 in the vacuum that OU and Texas leave, I. Right, that could change the perception of what your program is in a massive way. Yeah, um, with the twelve-team playoff, don't like conference champions get like the top four seeds? Is that how that works? I don't know how it works. Yeah, I, I don't know that they necessarily do. They are, well, are you it, sure it, they get the top four seeds? Here, here's why I say that. Um, here's our third instance this week of someone coming up with maybe a cool idea 
but the execution on it is terrible. <laughs> here's, here's the third example of that this week. Uh, there was an article out on 24-7 today that was projecting how the first 12-team playoff looks in 2024. Okay, like curiosity gets the best of me here. I'll, I'll see what you have to say. And they have OU as the number four overall seed, which I was shocked at, by the way. It's like, seriously? So, uh, someone thinks in 2024 OU's going to be the number four seed? Okay. And it says brutal draw for the Sooners, who are only seeded higher than Alabama, who's the five seed in their matchup, due to the new playoff rules relating to four conference champions earning the top four seeds. So I say it was terrible execution because they basically said OU's going to win the Big 12 in 2024, and that's why they get the number four seed. I guess this writer forgot that OU's going to be in the SEC first year in the 12-team playoff. That's weird. Yeah. Are they – I wonder if they are, like, forecasting this year's That's the only logical explanation the for the 12-team playoff. That's the only logical explanation yeah. I could find. But it does say, like, OU would be ranked four because they win their conference. That's okay. the only reason they're ranked higher than Alabama at five in this. Well, and, and that's going to be the new thing that is going to take some getting used to. Um, and Well, maybe it happens right away. Like – success is going to be totally redefined with the 12-team playoff, right? You're always going to want to win a conference championship. That's huge. But if you're just in the 12-team playoff and you don't win a conference championship, like, that's a massive successful season. Right? There's the, any way that you cut it, right? If you're in the tournament at the end with the chance to win a championship, you've had a successful year, even if you didn't win your, your conference championship. So, like, that's – that's the new reality that you're going to have to kind of get used to a little bit is naturally, and some people argue that this is why the 12-team playoff is, is not a good thing. Um, it's going to it's going to take some of the, the buzz away from the conference cha- winning a conference championship, right? Or, or your wins maybe in the regular season because college football for so long has been about success, like obviously in the postseason – but how many games you won in the regular season, right? It's, we can seemingly always rattle off what the major teams did the year before and how many wins they had, but it kind of doesn't matter now if you win a lot of games in the regular season and you're the number one overall seed. If you don't win a playoff game, it'd be hard to look at that as a successful yeah. season, you know? And that yeah. hasn't been the case in college football for well, the most part. And the best thing about the 12-team playoff is because of that exact point is why – that's, that's why everyone in the SEC is okay with the schedule that they've just been given for 24. Sure. Like, you look at some of those schedules, and, like, Alabama would have thrown an absolute fit if it wasn't a 12-team playoff situation, right? It's like Saban would have been making the rounds on every television show and radio show across the country talking about how bad they got screwed with what their schedule is trying to make a 14 playoff. But since it's a 12-team you're just you're going to get more good matchups, and ultimately, I think that's what. I guess I shouldn't say everyone. That's what I want. I'd rather see big time football games, and I I always want every single game to matter. But you've got to understand that everyone's going to game the system. If every single game matters. Well, then everyone that has the ability is going to make their schedule as easy as possible, right? And they're going to schedule the worst teams 
that they can. So because every game matters, you can't lose one. So let's schedule it as easy as possible. So if you take that away a little bit, they all still really matter. But if you you de-emphasize that a little bit, you get way better matchups. One thing with the playoff in 24 that is going to be unique to anything we've ever seen in the sport and one thing to potentially be excited about, especially from the OU side, is whatever your home schedule has been, as long as you've been watching college football, well, regardless of what happens, how many wins you have, like that's your home schedule, that's how many home games you're going to play, like that's it, it's not going to be any different, right? So it was a slight bummer that OU only got three SEC home games, but we're all excited about Alabama, Tennessee, and South Carolina. But there's mm-hmm. a chance you could add a Florida State home game to that mix with the home playoff games, you know? That's and that, true. And that's never happened before, really, in college football history, is to potentially have a home game at the end of the season that's not on the regular season schedule. So as awesome as the home schedule looks in 2024, there is definitely a world where it looks even better with another big-time opponent coming in. That's kind of awesome. I'm curious to see what the – what do you think the bowl – atmosphere because it already stinks since the playoff has come around the whole bowl system has changed massively what do you think it looks like under a 12 team playoff even um, less yeah i mean I, I don't know how it's not man i mean <laughs> I, I mean I, i'm just trying to think of a scenario where you have two programs that are excited to be there um yeah i just i I mean, bowl attendance seemingly hasn't been great recently. Maybe I'm wrong about that in, like, the lower-tier bowls, mid-tier bowls, but I think it lessens it even more for sure. You know what they should do? Um, Why can't I think of the name of it? If you don't make the NCAA basketball tournament, what's the other one called? The NIT. 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 They should (laughs) – if no one's going to care about the bowl games anymore and you don't make the 12-team playoff, there should be like an NIT version, uh, you know, like the B-Flight uh, tournament. Like You don't make the big one, but you made the second one, yeah. the second-tier tournament. That'd be a lot of NIT banners in College Station. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm down to see that. Um, a- another thing, too, is even though the 14 playoff is taken away from the bowl games, like the bowl games still like give you the lead-up to the bigger bowl games, you know? So they, they yeah. still kind of had their own time. I don't know if they're going to have that now with as many weeks as we're going to be playing this playoff, you know? Like, I don't know if yeah. those mid-lower-tier bowl games are going to have their own weeks to kind of shine anymore. That's another It's thing. weird because I don't even – I'm going to have to see what the – like how it all unfolds and what it looks like on paper to really absorb it all, and I haven't taken the time to do that yet. All right, quick time out. More from the rush coming up. Hit some things that caught my eye next. This is the Ref Sports Radio Network. At Lander Chevy Norman, we're feeling good. How good? Jumping into summer savings good. And the hottest innovation. For more info, go to VoidStreetVentures.com. What caught Teddy's eye brought to you by Yala Gosney Law. When you call a law firm, do you want to actually talk to a lawyer at Yala Gosney Law? Communication is a priority. That's Yala Gosney Law, 405-800-8080, 405-800-8080. Let's get to it. Story number one is? Well, we'll start here with the uh, College Baseball World Series. LSU uh, still alive. 
they got a rematch coming up. When is that game tonight? Tonight at 6 p.m. And it sounds like Paul Skeens is going to pitch for LSU. Oh, uh, they stayed alive long enough to get him back yeah, on the mound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think um, I, I think Skeens has been the number one pitcher in college baseball this year. I think Wakes maybe had the number two. I think they may be going head-to-head tonight. That's awesome. It, it is official, though, that Skeens is pitching for LSU. I'm not sure about Wake, though. Nice. Uh, that's going to be cool. That's uh, going to be really cool. Um, seeing who gets the, the shot at Florida. Um, uh, SEC's got a chance to have two in, which would be wild. Um, bad news, Tyler. Um, we've learned the fate of the missing submersible. Uh, I guess they found a debris field. I, it was it was this whole weird thing, you know, for the last couple of days because it's such a unique story. Um, but it's sad whenever – I mean, it's sad the entire time, but when the reality sets in, it's uh, it's so weird. The whole the whole situation is just is just really strange, isn't it? Yeah. Um, just the all the uncertainty about it, and like there's been. Like there, there was even a thought today that the what eventually you know killed everyone on board happened instant, and then they didn't drown, which is I don't know, a small silver lining in what could have happened there. I guess it's just it's just all rough, man. It's all bad. Yeah. Well, it is interesting though, like because that that theory had been thrown out there that it all you know collapsed instantly and. But then everyone kind of asked the, the immediate uh, question afterwards, which is what is on everyone's mind. Well, what the heck was that banging that they were hearing on sonar and radar, right? Oh, that's aliens. <laughs> that's aliens. <laughs> right. Um, Prime, Dion, uh, they, he's had uh, – there's been a lot of speculation as to what's going on with this foot. You know, he had the surgery, um, close to being amputated. They saved – Ended up taking a couple of toes, but saved his foot. Still having problems with it. But it sounds like, because uh, I, I don't know if there's all these dire, um, you know, people trying to predict what could happen and what it may mean for, for Colorado football. I guess what's happening is he's having surgery to remove some blood clots that are in both thighs, his right and left thighs. And perhaps that's what's been blocking the, the blood circulation to his feet and it's going to make it better for him but i hate to see him hobbled around because there was a video i saw that was floating around twitter today i don't know if you saw it but a bunch of his highlights from college and nfl returning punts and returning interceptions for touchdowns i think we've this is like we get stuck in this uh latest is greatest but whenever you go back and watch like just how incredibly athletic that dude was it's amazing yeah, and for a guy that's that athletic, and, and hopefully it doesn't get to the point where he really can't be mobile anymore, um, I don't know if anyone thinks about it from that angle, but how like mentally tough that would be to be able Brutal. to kind of exercise and do all, you know, just do all the things that he's been able to do his entire life, and hopefully that doesn't end here in the coming days, but the thought of that is pretty grim. Yeah, hopefully everything goes well, and I think maybe that's tomorrow, or maybe I yeah, don't know, maybe it, emergency had... surgery tomorrow. Apparently, yeah. is what uh, is happening to Dion. Hopefully, it all goes well. How many, how many months of child support could you afford at two hundred fifty thousand dollars a month? 
Um, or are we talking days? How many days of child support? Yeah, I, 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 uh, three. Hours? I think. Uh, yeah, let's let's go to hours. Actually, uh, probably probably one hour is what I could afford, if that. Two hundred fifty k is what Kevin Costner, uh, Kevin Costner's um, restraint. Better get back to Yellowstone, wants. buddy. Quit holding out on Yellowstone. Better get back to filming. Now, the first thought is, oh, he can afford that. That adds up. Oh, you kidding me? Really yes. quickly, really, really quickly. Um, he said he's open to paying around thirty-eight thousand dollars a month, which is still <laughs> a staggering amount is. for child support. But needless to say, there's some distance between what the two think is uh, reasonable. Let's see who ends up paying more child support: he or Zion Williamson, because <laughs> it sounds like Zion's going to be having to pay child support as well here oh, in the future. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's all I got. Okay, so Barry Odom, Brian yeah. Odom's brother, who's the head coach at UNLV, is not happy at Bobby Petrino. So Petrino was the head coach at Missouri State. Mm-hmm. He joins Barry Odom at UNLV as the OC, and then Barry or then uh, Petrino's like, actually, I'm going to go work with Jimbo at Texas A&M. Barry Odom was asked about it, and he said, "Quote: I told Petrino, well, you've got a job at UNLV." But it was something he couldn't turn down. I wasn't happy about it, but what can you do? So I got a piece of paper and went to the next candidate and tried to get him hired in here as fast as possible. So we did. But, yeah, he admitted in this interview, I was not happy with Bobby Petrino for up and leaving like that. Well, I imagine, you know, you you probably spent a lot of time explaining to him why it's going to be a good thing and how you can build on it and what maybe the possibilities are and, uh, you know, you people probably brought you on for. I mean, that, that was probably in the discussions of like what your what your plans are if you're a head coach who you're bringing in. So yeah, it, it's it's frustrating. And the thing is, it's like Bobby Petrino. It's it. I, I don't know the guy. Maybe the greatest guy ever, but it fits like what you would think, right? To just. Agree to someone. Agree with someone that this is what you're going to do, and then very quickly be like, "Ah, actually, there's something better. Popped up. I'm out of here." Worst possible time. Yeah, that's right. Um, I don't know. I can't confirm if these numbers were right, but we'll go with them. There's a Twitter account, College Football Home, that has a unique ranking: most vacated Mm -hmm. wins of all time, and that's (laughs) relevant right now because LSU had to uh, vacate some wins. Now that uh, their football and their hoops program are on a three-year probation, LSU has the most vacated wins of all time in college football history with 37. Ole Miss is number two at 33. Bama's number three at 21, along with Notre Dame at 21. And then North Carolina is at number five with 16. So SEC, baby, the top three programs with the most vacated wins are all in the Southeastern Conference. That's my league. It's... You know what that tells me? That everyone in the Southeastern Conference agrees. It's worth it to do it at the time. No one cares about vacated wins. Auburn it's all just about said hell yes in the background really loud. I don't know if you heard that. That's right. That is right. Uh, wow. I don't know if this is going to be a new trend or not. This is the last thing I have. But we've seen it twice this week with elite quarterbacks. Kevin Sperry, 2025 yeah. quarterback commit for OU, leaving the state of Texas to come play at Coral Albert. Dylan Raiola, the number one overall player, five-star quarterback, Georgia commit, is leaving Arizona to go play at, at Buford, Georgia, 
think this is like his fourth high school in three years, which I don't yeah. love, but whatever. Anyway, he's transferring to a high school in Georgia that already has two five-star players on the roster. And now Raiola, the number one overall player, is going to go play for them as well. Nice. So he's moving to Georgia's backyard. Kevin Sperry did that. I don't know if this is going to become a trend, but it is uh, interesting nonetheless. I wonder if, like, say you're a a five-star quarterback and you've committed to, um, let's just say for argument's sake, TCU. Um, And they're recruiting a couple of five-star guys that are – in Kansas City, you think they're going to start like telling their their quarterback to go to move to Kansas City for your final year, or are you just are they just going to continue to go close to where the school is, or are they going to go to the school that would be best for the where they're going in recruiting? If that makes sense, maybe. But I, I don't know. I I would feel like a total d bag to get like a four and five star rating. And if I've played with the same group of guys my entire life to say, yeah, I know yeah. our goal is a state championship, but see ya. I'm going to time zone away to play my final year, final two years. It's it's such a weird I, – I cannot relate with that at all. It, yeah, it, it's, it's such a weird thing, man. I, I went to a small school, so – it's, it's probably way different than most people's uh, experience, but I went to kindergarten with the same guys I graduated with. So, I, for me, it was everything to go and try and win a state championship with those same guys I played Little League football with. But I don't know. Times are changing. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. We'll wrap up hour number two next. Talking Sooner football is what we do. This is The Ref. At Landers Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Norman, we're feeling... ...have been helping animals since 1877. The goal is to ensure that pets have a safe shelter, especially during natural disasters. Adopting a shelter pet allows shelters to help more animals awaiting care. Please consider adopting today and take some time to learn more about American Humane's other work at American Humane. Central Oklahoma Buick GMC dealers bringing you this hour of the rush. By the way, speaking of those vacated wins at LSU that got announced today, 37 of those bad boys under Les Miles, uh, that means that Les will no longer be eligible for the College Football Hall of Fame after those 37 vacated wins, Mm. which is uh, interesting for a coach that's won a national title. Doesn't sound like uh, he's going to get in. Hey, 5 o'clock, I have compiled a ton of responses on OU fans' biggest pet peeves while they're at a football game. Ah. So that'll be fun to, to roll down at 5 o'clock. Uh, we'll take text line submissions as well. I am interested, not that we're going to talk about it in the 5 o'clock hour. It's NBA, are you kidding me? What everyone's give it meter is for the uh, NBA draft tonight. When is that? It's tonight? Uh, allegedly. Okay. Guessing uh, yours is at a zero. It, well, to watch it, absolutely zero. Um to scan the results and see what happened after the fact, uh, pretty high. Maybe watching. See what went down. LSU Wake Forest instead at six p.m. It's probably where my I will be, be re- recording that and going to a baseball practice at six p.m. So, all right, final hour coming up next. Stay with us. 
You're listening to the home of Sooner fans, KREF, Norman, Oklahoma, and streaming live on the KREF app. The Ref Sports Radio Network. GMC continues its commitment to professional-grade engineering in the GMC Truck Series, like offering the world's first available six-function multi-pro tailgate on Sierra. This tailgate takes innovation to the next level with six distinct functions that let you load, 